0: It's that time. Oh my Everything and Anything Basketball, presented by The Outrage. With Cajun Theorathani Castle and host
1: Spencer Byers, this is Polar Opposites. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 15 of Polar Opposites. Cajun Theorathani Castle, alongside myself, Spencer Byers, and Lots of stuff to get through today, so occasionally so let's get straight into it. I want to start off with something a little funny to start to, to begin the show. So Damian Lillard, we talked about last week, is now officially a Milwaukee buck. The jerseys have been on the shelves and you know it's gone through that, you know, that cycle. But yesterday or I believe yesterday or the day before, it got released at OG and Toronto Raptors small forward slash power forward texted Damien Lillard before he was traded to the the Milwaukee Bucks, before he was, I guess, officially traded, and he said, welcome to Toronto, which then made Damien Lillard think, oh my God, wait, did I get traded to Toronto? And had to figure out if OG was just, you know, playing with them or if he was acting on the truth. And of course, OG was just messing with them and he was not traded to Toronto, even though Toronto was heavily linked to the Star Guard. So... OG playing a prank on a, a a player that he does actually work out with during the offseason. Lillard and uh, and Ananobi are I'll say workout partners. They do work out together during the off season. So there was a link to Toronto for Damian I Lillard. So it does make a little more sense. It's not like he was a guy who, even if he didn't didn't necessarily want to come to Toronto, he had links here to the Raptors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Cajun, were, were you were you a fan of the pra- also the practical joke? Were you a fan of OG pranking him?
2: OG's a natural prankster, man. Um, come on now, uh, OGua and Anobi Jr. Um, classic. I mean, he, he's channeling his inner Kawhi by being a fun guy. Uh, obviously, Dame was a little bit confused, and and, some, and he did acknowledge that um, OG always play like that, so. Yeah, natural pranks are in like in a time where media day has there's been numerous storylines about players reporting culture issues like this was like a nice change of pace like, this was like a nice change of pace and it was it was funny to hear it was like that's something OG would like when I heard that it was like some that's something OG would do as well as as well as get on Serge Ibaka's and everything, but that's a story for another day
1: and then we're going to quickly, again, lots of stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about Media Day has got has has begun and ended. Another con- big contract has been handed out by San Antonio this time. You know, other big news, of course, with some new looks. Jimmy Butler, in particular, if you haven't seen it, we'll go over it. WNBA uh, Finals coming up in four days' time. It'll be... What is serious between the Aces and the uh, Liberty? We get to meme cage in theory and three with Danny Castle. for the first time on the show, So that's going to be an enjoyable. So we'll get to that near the end. But before we get into all of that, Drew Holiday, we talked, we spoke last week. At, obviously, Drew Holiday was in the Damian Lillard trade going to Portland. We talked about how he thought he would be, he would be a good fit in Portland to help bring through the young guys. Obviously, Portland did not really care about the veteran presence because they have immediately shipped him off, which some of the links as the days went on were getting thicker and thicker of him being moved. And you heard some teams were very interested, and then he got traded to the Boston Celtics. So Drew Holiday is now a Boston Celtic. He got traded to for two first-round picks, one pick this year, 2024, but it's Golden State's. 2029 Boston Celtics unprotected first round pick, Robert Williams, which I say, try, I try to say without trying to have a shaky voice and Malcolm Brogdon for Drew Holiday. And I think it's a good trade for the Celtics because they get, they basically get what they need. We talked, we've talked basically all summer, Cajun, about how the Celtics need a true point guard. They need someone better at the point guard position. And the reality is, when you think about the Boston Celtics roster, Cajun, they're better than they were last year. And I love Robert Williams. Chris Porzingis is an objectively better player than Robert Williams. Drew mm-hmm. Holiday is a better player than Marcus Smart and Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon. So they've improved at two things. One thing I didn't necessarily, say, necessarily think they needed to improve, because I still think the world of Robert Williams, but injuries have really hampered his time in Boston. Hopefully those don't follow him to Portland. And then they get the the, the truer point guard, Andrew Holliday, to play beside Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And they look at the Portland side, they get two first-round picks. They get Malcolm Brogdon, who you think they're going to trade. We'll get, I'll let you elaborate on that in a second. And Robert Williams, who they've already said they plan to keep Robert Williams and DeAndre Ayton as their centers, which I think is going to be a very interesting duo of centers. And they don't really play the same game. They're not, Again, they're not really the same size. Ayton is a seven-footer. Uh, Robert Williams, I think, 6'9", but is can jump out of the gym and is he- heavily athletic, even with the injuries that have hampered him. But it definitely is an interesting trade for Boston, a trade that I'm not— I like, but I wish Robert Williams wasn't in it. Kind of like how we talked about when Chris Dots Porzingis got traded to Boston, how I do like the trade for Boston, but I wish Marcus Smart did not get traded. I feel the same way about this trade. It's nice to get Drew Holiday, but it would have been nicer if they would have been able to do it without trading with Robert Williams. But obviously, he is a piece that Portland liked and, and got the deal over the line for Brad Stevens, president of Basketball Ops. So Cajun, what do you make of the trade? Drew Holiday to the Boston Celtics, and before you like give us your thoughts on the trade, and then I have a follow-up question I think is very important to that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what did you make of the trade?
2: Well, like you said, the Celtics really needed a true point guard. Um, Marcus Smart did as best as he could, but he wasn't, but he wasn't that true point guard that could elevate someone. Elevate, like, the Celtics' offense when things get t- got tough. Drew Holiday is that guy. Um, now, my only concern about this is, oh, before I get into that, Drew Holiday, they need a guy who um, can lock up at the point guard. It um, can be a great solution for Damien for teams that want to – Trying to stop Damian Lillard, and he knows the buck system inside and out. So that's a big advantage to have, especially like going to an Eastern Conference rival like the Celtics.
1: But now, would that be, I'll say but quickly, Kitchen, but that being said, they do have a new coach in Milwaukee, which also might change some things. But I do agree with you. He has the insights, gutting report on Giannis and Brook Lopez and and basically all of those guys. So that is a great point.
2: Mm-hmm. My concern is injuries. They are very top heavy. They lost quite a bit of depth over they lost quite a bit of their depth over mm-hmm. this offseason with Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon. They did get better in terms of talent. And you did say Porz- Holiday is a better talent than Marcus Smart. Perseph Sperzingis is a better talent than Robert Williams. Both those things are true. But it isn't always about talent. Sometimes it's about fit, too. Theoretically, it looks like these pieces could fit, but they are very top-heavy, and there's a lot of injury concerns on that. There are some quite a bit of injury concerns on that team, um, especially with Porzingis. So it it's going to be interesting to see how Joe Mazzula navigates that bet that bench lineup and gives these guys much needed rest over the course of the regular season. Peyton Pritchard, Sam Hauser, they're going to, they're going to play some big, they're going to play bigger roles than they did last season. So to see you, but um, as of right now, I have Boston one Milwaukee two, but they could easily be one a or one B uh, this definitely, this this trade definitely makes them better.
1: Well, actually, that was was my next question. I think this trade, you need to look at at the lens for Boston specifically as does Drew Holiday make them better or equal to the Milwaukee Bucks? Because if this trade doesn't do that, then the trade ultimately most most likely will not look good in a year's time. Because the whole point of this trade, let's be honest here, the only reason the Boston Celtics traded for Drew Holiday is because the Milwaukee Bucks got Damian Lillard. That is the only Mm. reason Drew Holiday's in a Celtics jersey right now and not playing in Philly or playing in insert team who could use another point guard. It's because the Celtics looked at it and said he's a good upgrade on what we've had before. We don't have to give up a whole lot to get him. And hopefully Holiday and Porzingis as a package can equal out to the value of Damian Lillard. And no, I'm not saying... Together, their talents, even as good as Damian Lillard, I'm just saying the production, kind of moneyballing mm-hmm. it, if you will, is the production of those two players is good enough to equate to what Damian Lillard is going to do for Milwaukee. And hopefully to- that's the way it works out, KJ. But do you do you think that Holiday and Porzingis can equal out that value? Could yeah. not saying they will, but could they?
2: They could. They could. Um. Because Porzingis provides them an offensive threat, a bigger offensive threat at the five position for the Celtics that they didn't really have. Sure, they had Al Horford, but he's on the tail end of his career, and Robert Williams was never that. Um, and you can provide some defensive value, not at the same value as Robert Williams, but somewhat decent. Um And when you have a guy that can guard people at the point of attack and can take him and can score a little bit, we seem to forget Drew Holiday can score can can get you twenty on any given night too. Um he's at his he, he is on and off with his offense, but that's another threat. That's another threat to add. He like Drew Holiday is your fourth out option after Tatum, Brown, and Porzingis is a pretty scary proposition to the rest of the league. So, yes, um, this makes them at least equal to the Bucks, if not better.
1: And I guess again, we can talk about paper all we want, Cage. And the NBA season starts in a couple weeks' time. You and I are going to ramp up a little more. Two weeks or two episodes a week. We'll be starting next week, which works because of how much news we got this week. Which is why again we're ramping up is because more news will be coming out as the season starts and and the WNBA Finals get, to kicks off on I'm going to try to say Sunday. So we we will be reviewing Game One on Monday, which will be the ninth, which will be our first episode of the two episodes a week on Mondays and Thursdays. But
2: mm-hmm.
1: back to hold on, hold
2: on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't know if you noticed this, but Derek White came on home.
1: Oh no, what does that mean?
2: Came on home means he went bald.
1: Oh lord. Well, I guess they won't be making fun (laughs) of him for his hairline anymore. At least Charles Barkley won't be won't be going after him for his hairline again. We will get into some hair stories here in this show because Jimmy Butler's at it again, and that's all (laughs) I'm going to say. Jimmy Butler's at it
2: again. (laughs) You mean Charles Barkley and Shaq? You'll never find bum 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 bum. A hairline
1: like mine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> honestly, honestly, looking at Derek Wade's hair, hair like at first, I'm like, I got fooled, cause like I, like I thought with the, I, I thought like real talk, I thought with the headband, I thought with the headband, I'm like his hairline's fine. When I saw him in that press conference, I'm like, oh boy.
1: Yeah, yeah. The That's headband it? did a lot of work. In. It did a lot of heavy lifting in that, in, in, in with, with, with that hairline. What if, if you pull the Alex Caruso and still wear the headband. So he actually has like that that giant, I'll say, bald spot. It looks like.
2: Oh man.
1: But uh, uh, anyway,
2: man, the internet really bullied him into shaving it off. Damn.
1: Only well, they like doing that kind of stuff, especially when Shaq and and Charles get get on your case.
2: Man, and they, they ball, the Same too. with
1: LeBron. LeBron got hair implants. I like guess D White doesn't have that kind of LeBron money. Which you know what? Fair enough. Who does? Who does NBA <laughs> here at this point?
2: Hey, turkey's always an option.
1: It always is an option. But now skipping over from the Celtics to the Raptors. We've talked about that OG story. Media Day uh, has just come and gone. Cajun. Masai had some interesting things to say in a specific quote that I have not been able to get to yet in the press presser. I was just taking a little gander at it before the show. He, he said the Raptors were selfish and I'll ask you as a Raptors fan, Cage, what did you make of what Masai said throughout media day? Was there anything else you took from what he said in the 30-minute presser on the Raptors' YouTube channel that you were happy with, Didn't weren't happy mm-hmm. with? What exactly was your feeling throughout the whole half hour?
2: Well, a little bit of confusion, to be honest. Um... Because um, the way that he said it could could have been taken in any sort of way possible, because um, I can read some of the quotes that like, and I'm seeing this from Eric Cor or like from Eric Corina on X, once known as Twitter. He didn't mention about the Knicks lawsuit. I think there has been only one time in the history of the NBA that a team has sued a team. Go figure. Talked about taking responsibility for not trading Fred, but he also said. Hit the opportunity wasn't great and they respect and they want to either respect like the opportunity or the player and they respect the Fred. Um now he did say he talked to Siakam, but he hasn't talked extension numbers yet. Um he wants to see how things go with a new coach, and um it's really interesting to see like um how like with with three free agents in the mix, OG and Obi. Gary Trent, upcoming free agents, OGN and Obi, Gary Trent Jr., Pascal Siakam. It's really interesting words to say that, like, we want to see you in, like, a new system. In a new system put in place before making a decision. And I'm not going to lie to you, it's kind of old school, but I kind of like it. Because, um, clearly what happened last year didn't work. And, um, The whole thing about being selfish was what went viral. But when you looked at that team last year, he wasn't wrong.
0: A lot of guys were playing for themselves. Um,
2: Now, is that that maybe the right...
1: Nick Nurse, cage? not to interrupt you, but that includes head coach Nick Nurse. It feels like everybody, such nearing the end of the season, it just kind of became a a massive issue in Toronto with... Guys not like getting in the same efforts, Guys not like getting minutes. Nick Nurse kind of being more commodity with the media. Like it get- was just i I'll say a circus in Toronto. At least it felt like that here north of the border.
2: Mhm. And continuing what he said. Continuing what he said. And you're right. It definitely was a circus north of the border. It's just like there was just so many other things going on for them aside playing basketball as a team. And we never saw that. Um. But he also said there will be no selfishness this year when he was asked about the analysis of last year's team. Um, but he also said they do believe in Pascal. Um, but he also said they believe they did, they do believe the players didn't play the right way last year, and they want to see them play the right way. Um, he said they were selfish, and he's now running away from it, and they want to see them play the
0: right way. People might not like, like what
2: he said, but it was true. Like, you might not be a selfish, like, and I don't, I don't think that's insinuating that Pascal Siakam is selfish, is a selfish player. Cause that's what I'm seeing on. That's what I'm seeing from Raptors Twitter. Um, I told you last week about how I feel about Raptors Twitter. Um. And like the takeaway that I got from there, that I got from Raptors Twitter, is that like you really disrespecting a two-time All NBA player. I'm like, well, he's looking at the team right. He's looking at the team right now. Um, and Siakam said he's open to contracts extension right now. So there was a lot of things. To sum this up, there was a lot of things that there was a lot of things that were said, and I guess it's just more so like. A wait and see. I'm in wait and see mode because there's a new culture in place because clearly what happened last year isn't going to happen again. A new coach in place, a new system in place. There's three free agents now, so it's going to be interesting to see how that's being handled contract situation-wise. Um, so that first preseason game is going to like... It's going to be really interesting to see how how not only og pascal and um gary Trent jr playing their new roles um but how does scott how does scotty play um because he kind of plateaued in his second in his second season how does he play does he play as the as like a lead point as the lead point guard like what's sort the of role is he going to have what sort of role is Dennis Schroeder going to have? Um, how's the bench going to look like with Otto Porter Jr. now in the mix after missing basically all of last season? There is a lot more questions and answers, and um, me right now, I just cannot wait for preseason to start, so at least some of those questions could be answered.
1: Another thing I want to mention off you, Masayu Juri's uh, media day. He specifically said in his interview, when they asked him about Lillard and how interested they were and how close were they. He said, "In and I quote, it, that the reports were sensationalized." So obviously the Raptors weren't that close, because you wouldn't say that it got sensationalized unless you weren't as close as people may think you were. Because what mm-hmm. else could be sensationalized of a of a trade reco- or of a trade? then either when people say they're really close or you're not. And they were saying the Raptors were the front runner before an hour and a half later he got traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. I know because in our document, on the day he was traded, because you and I literally started the podcast at 2.30, and at 2.35 he was dealt, that you got on the top of our, our, our list was, is he going to the Raptors? Rumors seem to be getting hotter. And then all of a sudden he's a Milwaukee Milwaukee Buck, and it felt the same way with Drew Holiday. I, you know, I saw some reports the Celtics were in the mix, but like apparently they were still very far apart. I heard other teams were really interested, and then like the next day he's a Celtic. So, you know, it's kind of funny how those trades have happened this summer, occasion with how just kind of quickly teams have came in and just swooped in and taken the player without much fanfare in the media, if you will.
0: Just goes to say
2: that mm, a lot of the media does not know a lot.
1: Well, not necessarily that they don't know a lot, is that they rely a lot on inside sources, which are obviously very important. They're something that you and I don't have a lot of luxury to our sources inside organizations, inside of locker rooms, and stuff like that. So, in fairness, it does have its obvious value. The problem is sometimes I think it's relied on too much. Where it can cause reporters to not really also do their job, where they will just take the word of somebody inside the organization, and either they didn't hear the conversation right, or they're getting the reporters getting third or fourth-hand information. So who knows how accurate it could be? Because mm-hmm. let's be honest here, no reporter who reported the Raptors were close called Masai Ujiri, because a he wouldn't answer a question like that, and b I don't think anyone's done enough to call Masai Ujiri or that kind of stuff.
2: And it's notoriously been known that the Raptors don't leak.
1: Are very tight-lipped. Yeah, that organization is definitely not known for leaks at this particular point.
2: hmm
0: So, I guess with, like, the leather thing, the leather thing,
2: um, they also said, um, they said everybody's looking for trades. Everyone's looking for moves. And he did say when the right one comes, we'll, we'll take that opportunity. Um, but they are also relying on internal growth and like better shooting. They did draft, draft greedy Dick and auto Porter juniors, auto Porter Jr. is healthy and he's a great shooter in his own right too. So, and mind I mentioned auto Porter does have championship experience. Um, a title with the Golden State Warriors two years ago. He's a big part of that team. So um I feel like this I feel like this is one of those media days where like if the Raptors get off to a hot, hot start, all these like quote unquote controversial comments will be like swept under the rug and it'll be like water under the bridge. But if they start off bad then those worse those quotes from media day
0: are only going to grow louder, um, figuratively.
1: That cage. That's the scary part too. Is we talk about you know how things are double edged sort of, and this is one of the situations where if the Raptors have a great start, people are going to laud Masai. They're going to um, they're going to really galvanize around him because he's done the right thing. They're still a contender. This, that, and the other. And then if they start. Poorly, it's going to be, why is not beside me to move? Why isn't this team rebuilding? Why don't they have any vision? Because in my opinion, Cajun, and we'll get to this before we move fully on, because in my mind, Cajun, the Raptors are doing the cardinal sin to roster building, the cardinal sin, which is their hedging. You either are a winner or a loser. What do I mean by that? Either you are a contender or you're not. There is no in-between. There is not a team that can make the... like In reality, and I understand the Miami Heat were the eighth seed, even though they technically were the seventh seed with the play-in, moved them down to the eighth seed. They went to the NBA Finals. I'm not saying this is a, a foolproof idea, but the reality is you either are a contender or you're not. The Raptors are not a contender. They were in the play-in mm-hmm. and got rocked by Chicago. They are not a contender. And if you're not a contender then you need to rebuild, or at least retool, to be able to get to being a contender. And the Raptors have not done that. Yes, they've added, pardon me, they have added Jakob Pertl, but then they lose Fred Van Vliet. And obviously they shouldn't have paid him the $20 million a season that the the Rockets gave him, because dear Lord, that was too much money, in my opinion. But regardless, you know, you still lost him for nothing. Because you bought Jakob Pertl and bought at the deadline and didn't really get much better at, at the deadline, might I add. So I just don't know if the Raptors roster is A, good enough to be a top six team in the East, B, good enough to be a contender, even if they do make the playoffs through the play-in, if they are a top six team, and then C, what happens if by January or February they're a 500 or but just below 500 team like they were last year do they make that move we've all been expecting of og and an ob or pascal siakam or even Jakob Pertl being sent somewhere else gary trent jr who also is a, a, a ufa this summer what do the raptors do because when you hedge and you kind of play both sides of the young guys you draft and then you have your veterans that kind of want to win but also like where they play it just becomes muddled of what happened last year with the young guys like Scotty Barnes and the old guys seemingly having a rift and the head coach not really playing personalities well and it just becomes a whole circus and that is I'm not going to say is guaranteed to happen again because obviously it's not but it's a very likely possibility because the definition of insanity, which again I think this is overused, but that I think it's a good point here. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. The Raptors are bringing in relatively either a better or either a same or worse roster they had they had last year this year. So do they genuinely expect to be a better team than they were last year?
2: And I think this is a problem of the last two seasons. Because two years ago, two years ago, when Scotty Barnes was named Rookie of the Year, the Raptors pretty more or less so exceeded expectations, and then people expected them to take a step up. But because of issues that arose in terms of like the locker room chemistry and like regression, that never happened. So like, I think what they're like, as bad as hedging is. I think they're trying to, and I think, and I think I'm just trying to understand what their like mindset is. I think they're trying to figure out what sort of team are they? Were they the team that they were last year, or were they team that were on the up and coming two seasons ago? Because last season was a very weird season on the, on the heels of like what happened um, during the 2021-22 season, and I think like. If they're on like the precipice, if they're back to that up and coming team, then this is water under the bridge. But or, but then they'll continue on that trajectory and start adding players to that. But if they're there, if they're if they're if they're kind of on the downturn, then it might be then it's like okay we know what we are right now. We can start off fresh. Um,
0: I think because of.
2: I think because of because of solely what happened last season, with um, everybody being out for themselves, you couldn't really get much of an answer because it was just a stark contrast to what happened two seasons ago. And they played great together, and they played relatively great together, and ended up getting a five seed. And people were calling the Raptors a team on the rise again, so it was like very jarring to see what happened last season and. I think they're just trying to figure out what's which Raptors team is this a team on the rise or a team that needs to start off fresh and right now like that's very much
0: that's like that's very much unknown and I think the core played a factor
2: into that now like and they want to like wait and see like can they play better under a new under like a different culture set in place, under a different system set in place? Because if they can, then you can start off fresh
0: and then bring in guys who can.
2: So I think it's this is just the Raptors figuring out which which sort of team this
0: is. And um there was a lot of
2: outside factors that affected last season. So I think like the guys that were there that kind of got affected by selfish play to a degree have a chance to prove themselves again.
1: Well, we'll see if the Raptors can prove themselves to be contenders again or if they're going to be making some deals in February or closer to the deadline that are more sellers. But um, it'll be really interesting to see us again because this this Eastern Conference below Boston and Milwaukee is going to be very interesting. Are the Cavs the third-best team now? Are the Sixers going to be there with Harden allegedly reporting? We'll get into that in a second. Um, Indiana should be better. You go through the other teams. Miami should be better, have a better regular season at the very least. And the list goes on and on in the East of teams that should be better, some teams that may be worse. And the Raptors are kind of in that middle ground of, are they going to be better? I don't know. Are they going to be worse? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I think that is an important question to ask you, Cajun, before we fully move on to end it off. is What happens this season, Cajun? What do you expect from the Raptors this season? We, we will do our predictions for the season in about two, probably two weeks or so. A little closer to the season starting, just in case injuries still have, still can happen. But what do you see from Heat? What do you see? What do you see with this team? What do you expect from this team in twenty twenty
2: three, twenty four? I honestly think there's a lot of talent on this Raptors team um, that I think was not properly used last season. Um, you got. Pretty decent starting lineup, depending on how it is, with, like, Gary, Gary Trent Jr., Scotty Barnes, OG, Pascal, and Jacoperto. Now you got some firepower coming off the bench, too. Um, Grady Dick, um, Dennis Schroeder, uh, FIBA World Cup MVP, Dennis Schroeder. A, a healthy Otto Porter Jr. back in the mix. Thaddeus Young is still there for, like, veteran leadership, which I think might be huge. And then you got Chris Boucher, and then um and then this was also unfortunate. Christian Coloco is still dealing with uh, respiratory issues, which means he will not be a part of training camp. so that's kind of like a setback from him. But if you get something out if you get something out of him, that'll be huge too. so and then maybe some minutes from Malachi Flynn too. So this team's deeper than people think, and I think with what had happened last season, the Raptors are going to mean business because what had happened last season is not going to happen this season. Um, It's more, you're going to see more of the Raptors trying to play the right way and to play cohesive and together and i think that'll make them even that'll make them even more dangerous i think they'll surprise a lot of teams um but the ceiling for me with this team at best is 5th or
0: 6th so like just
2: clearing the play in tournament because there's there's um, at at best because Milwaukee and Boston are miles ahead of them. Um, so is Miami. Um, and a whole bunch of other teams too. Philly has has a lot of question marks, but they still got more talent. Um,
0: so no matter like.
2: This could be one of those. I'm high. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic on the Raptors, but this could easily be one of the one of these years where either they they might win fifty games, or win thirty five, or maybe thirty if they continue to t- if they realize what this team is and just tank from there on out.
1: Yeah, if they if they start selling and go for I won't say a number one pick, but go for a top ten pick and go for a lottery draft pick, but we'll mm-hmm. see. The Raptors' season starts in a couple weeks' time. The NBA starts in a couple weeks' time. We'll see if the Raptors do make any moves before the season starts or if they're staying pat like you and I expect and see what this roster can do. Um, Devin Vassell, as we mentioned, got a new contract with the San Antonio Spurs. Five years, $145.6 million deal. Okay, just quick thought. What do you think of the Vassell deal for San Antonio? The rebuilding Spurs?
2: man this cap going up like bruh a lot of these deals are going up. a lot of these deals are going up but Vassel's one of those talents that's warranted um because he's a great three three and d guy has he really showed he really showed some playmaking not only some playmaking chops but also like some some solid basketball last season, even though like injuries sort of got in the way. Um, he's one of the he's one of their he's one of their he's one of the big pieces on the, in, in that Spurs team alongside um, Jeremy Sohan, um, Keldon Johnson, Victor, and obviously the crown jewel Victor Victor Wembanyama. This is a good deal for the Spurs. Um, Vassell's only going to get better from here on. Only going to get better from here on out, and I believe this. I'm just trying to figure this out. Um, he's only 23 years old. He's already made so much improvements back when he, back when he was a rookie. When he got drafted in 2020, he's come a lot. He's come a long way, and I expect him to get better. This is a great deal for the Spurs. Um, locking up a key piece of the young core for the next little bit. might I mention he averaged 18.5 points per game ace and almost six point actually like 6.2 points per game jump from the previous season on improved percentages too and really showed some playmaking chops almost doubling his assist total so I think this is a great deal for I think this is a great deal for San Antonio and Vassell's only Vassell's Got a lot more game to a lot got a lot more game to him that I think we'll see over the next five years.
1: We will definitely see with that. Now moving on to the other media days going around. I think again the most interesting story Cajun was Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey, pardon me, saying that James Harden will report for the 76ers. He is expected to be at training camp this week, or I believe it was early next week. So. Not only will James Harden seemingly be a 76er going into the season, he will be expected to play for the Philadelphia 76ers when the season starts in a couple weeks' time. I don't even know where really know how to pin to the question, Cajun, other than just how long do you think the charade can go on? How long do you think it is till Harden is traded? Or at this point, is Harden going to get traded? Or is he going to have to play out the year and then go to free agency next year?
0: Well,
2: even though he's joining the Sixers for training camp, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, Wojnarowski, um, apparently he wants to make the 76ers so uncomfortable, ultimately they don't think they'll get the best out of him and make a trade. And Mori also confirmed that on media day, he's seeking a trade. Um... And the one team that he does want to go on is the Clippers. But according to Wajarowski, the Clippers don't feel motivated to improve their offers to Philly because there's not another suitor for Harden. And I think that's a big issue. Harden's value is not an all-time low. And he doesn't have the same market value as, say, he had um, a season or two ago. And that's that's a big issue for Philly. It's like, what sort of value are you gonna are you gonna get out of Harden? Are, like, do you have to trade him for pennies on the dollar? Um, is there one team that's going to be a little bit too over aggressive? Like, and you can get what you want for Harden, but the problem is, how long are you gonna wait with Harden on the team? Like, and how is Harden? Well, Harden's well, Harden's, like, mood swings and, well, his antics, will he, like, will he make it so uncomfortable that, like, team morale, like, is just going to go sour and it affects them on the court, too? Like, this could go, this could drag on for months. Um, we almost saw it with, like, the Rocket, with the Rockets on, um, quote-unquote, how he put, quote-unquote, according to Twitter, he, like... According to sensationalized rumors, that he put on a fat suit um, uh, to force his way out of Houston, uh, um, and with a new coach in the fold and Nick Nurse too, it just and Joel Embiid's future in the air too, because you would think he's getting tired of all the all this and he's getting impatient and wants to win a title now. If this gets worse, does Joel Embiid demand a trade? When does Joel Embiid demand a trade? There's a... In the city of Brotherly, there's not really a lot of love coming from Harden, and, and, and this could get messy really quick. Like, as if it hasn't gotten messy enough as it is, this could turn downright ugly, ugly.
1: That's actually what I was gonna say, Cajun. You said it's, it could turn ugly. I was thinking it already has turned ugly. Yeah, I guess you're right. It could turn just even more ugly as Harden and the Sixers seem to get more and more diametrically opposed, and they're seemingly gonna be forced back together. They're kind of the couple that broke up, Cajun, but live in the same house. They haven't like separ- separated yet, but they're like getting a divorce. So they still live together, they still communicate, they still, you know, argue with who's washing the dishes today, but they're not really a couple anymore. Like, it's a really awkward situation going on down there in Philly. Mm. And if I was James Harden, I would be campaigning to any team I thought was a fit. Like, please, get me out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to play for whoever at this point. Anyone but Philadelphia. Because... Campaigning to one or two teams like Damian Lillard did is going to get him nowhere, because no offense to James Harden, he's not as good as Damian Lillard is right now, and he's played himself out of a lot of locations recently with how long he was a Houston Rocket for. And we'll have to see if if he does end up having to play up the year in Philadelphia, or if he doesn't get and end up getting moved. And then again, if he does get moved, does that mean that Joel Embiid will be the next one off the boat there in Philadelphia. And What do they do? Yep. If that all kicks off. And then who's acqui- who acquires Joel Embiid? Who makes that choice?
2: No, there's a lot of teams that would want Joel Embiid.
1: I think, ev- I think every single team in the NBA would want Joel Embiid, but who can afford them if you want to De- go to? Except for Denver. I'm not... I'm not. I'm not sure they wouldn't say no. You, you know, you tell me they would say no to having Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic on the floor. I but even see, I don't care who you put I, the, the four. I,
2: don't I think Philode- I think Philadelphia. I think Denver will laugh, will laugh and hang up the minute Philadelphia demands Jokic.
1: Well, I, that's what I mean. As long as they don't say Nikola Jokic and maybe Jamal Murray, I think you. I think you add it to the phone. But that's just me. Mm -hmm. If they say Nikola Jokic, then you you chuckle at yourself and say, why the hell are you calling me and hang up? But as long as they don't say Nikola Jokic and or baby Jamal Murray, I mean, I think everybody else, no offense to them. I love MPJ, Michael Porter Jr., but you're all up for grabs Mm. that Joel Embiid's coming to to Denver. Yep. And then another positive story, LeBron James will be playing this coming season, 2023-24, for his son, Bronny. We talked about how the cardiac arrest event Uh, not too long ago. He's also rehabbing Brawny and is planning to play for USC this year. He plans to be a Trojan. Um, So positives on the Brawny front, which are always good to hear. And hopefully he is able to suit up for USC this year. Um, I don't know with this particular incident, not including... USC already has the number one player or number one recruit in the country last year in Bronny's class at point guard in Enfield. Um, how many minutes he was going to get regardless, Bronny. Now with this event, who knows what his future at USC looks like next year. And then um, what he plans to do after that. If he's going to declare after one year, if he's going to go back and, and do a second year, depending on his his draft status. I don't really know what he's going to do.
0: Well, the fact that I
2: don't think he's going to declare after one year because of like the rehab process, uh, the rehab process to get back. He's not going to be the same player that he was, at least to start off. Uh, I think he needs to eat, like he will at least if the NBA is his goal. You um, like. After what happened to him, he will need another year of getting reacquainted, not only with the USC system, but also like as his as his optimal version of a basketball player too. Um, so I don't think he's gonna declare after a year. Um, it'll be pro- it'll probably be after two, and I don't think he's in any rush right now because, and I don't think he shouldn't be, and he shouldn't be in any rush because. As what he dealt with and the scare and the health scare that he just uh, overcame um, this past summer. Life's well, very short. Um, you gotta be more strategic with your decisions and um, be more careful. And I think bronnie's gonna do that.
1: Obviously, other news you want to talk about, Cajun, with the uh, season almost here. What do you make of the matchup? of? We talked about best duos. Now, obviously, we got to see it on the floor occasion, but not too many teams are going to be better than Lillard and Giannis you'd expect. But Luka and Kyrie, two other, another duo of star, I'll say that's guards, and Dame and Giannis are not like guard and guard. It's guard and forward. But still, two power couples, I'll say, in the NBA. Which one do you prefer? I know which one you're going to say, but I guess I might as well ask, which one do you prefer and why? Out of those two? Out of those two.
2: Honestly,
0: Giannis and Dame.
1: I I knew you were going to say that.
0: Because... You gotta you gotta worry about
2: like at least like with Luca and Kyrie you gotta worry about them attacking the rim at all time like like attack attacking the rim making you work from like the mid range and three point and the three point and the three point line now given that it, it's tough to stop two offensive wizards like Luca Doncic and Kyrie Irving but you can kind of gain a little bit on their attack you can kind of like catch a little bit to their tactics because they somewhat play a lot more similarly than say Giannis and Dane and that's the problem with somebody like Giannis or Dane. You got to make a decision. With somebody like Dane, do you guard out 35 feet and 35 feet to stymie him, but if you do that, the runway is going to be cleared wide open for Giannis at the rim. And then if you kind of start Giannis at the rim, then you got to worry about Dane. So it's The Giannis and Dame thing is basically like pick your poison, and neither of those poisons are very attractive for any opposing team. At least with Luca and Kyrie, they not saying they both play similar similar styles, but they but they play similar enough that you can pick up on their patterns compared to Giannis and Dame because Giannis and Dame is basically a pick your poison type scenario.
1: I do have to agree with you there. Now on to another story that I want to talk about for a while now. This is the moment I saw it. Kawhi Leonard, the poster boy of load management, has come out and said that this new player policy, the new um, the fines that are going to be instituted on teams, we've talked about on this show, we talked about with Al on the, route, on the outrage. Kawhi has come out, come out and said that he will not be forced to play more games. That he will not change what he does regardless of the new player participation rule and the new fines and all of that. So Kawhi Leonard's doubling down on his stance. And trying to kind of propel guys into playing an eighty two game season, which I think they should do regardless. Kawhi Leonard's saying, No, if I need to if I need to sit, I'm gonna sit. Cage, what do you make of Kawhi Leonard's comments? And I'm looking through his uh, quotes right here. Uh, I'm just trying to find the best soundbite. I would say. Yeah. So, and I guess the, the most important comment is. So, I'll give you the full one here. But if the league is see, is if the league is seeing or trying to mock what I did with the Raptors, they should stop being stop because I was injured during that whole year. But other than that, if I'm able to play, I'll play basketball. I work out every day in the summertime to play the game. So no league policy is helping me to play more games.
2: Now, I normally with it, the-
1: is hurt right now, actually, with an ACL injury. Torn ACL, I should say.
2: Is it meniscus?
1: Actually, I believe it is meniscus this time.
2: But see, that's the issue. See, that's. I think there's truth to what Kawhi saying because of the injuries that he does deal with. Um, because um, I do remember this from like the aftermath of the 2019 NBA Finals, um, interviewing uh, Kawhi and Kyle Lowry. Kawhi Ka- Lowry actually Kyle kind of hinted at like how there were like issues in that Toronto locker room, and a lot happened that season and Kawhi kind of said a little bit kind of said a little bit into what that what happened when when he said he was injured during that whole year um, now prior now after that he's been dealing with a lot of injuries like knee issues torn meniscus during the playoffs and he actually played through that in game 2 um of that series against the Suns and then obviously he's tore, he tore, tore his ACL now, with any other and when would, if any other player that was healthy and said that, I would be laughing. But Kawhi's dealt with so many different injuries over the years; he's basically been he he's the definition of injury pro. Um, I don't know if that necessarily applies to him because of because of literally what the numerous injuries that he's gone through over the course of the season. I think, like, if anything, like loan management is kind of what like loan management quote unquote is kind of what he needs that's a different sort of that's that's a different sort of scenario because it's kind of proven that he needs optimal version of himself because he's been injured bro and he and let me continue and i'm gonna continue this um quote here it's a matter of if you're going to trip on somebody a lot of my injuries last year i stepped on somebody someone's foot i ran into somebody you've got to control what you can control and get the treatments that you can and listen to your body keep moving and see what happens you're either going to get hurt or you're going to be lucky enough to play games throughout the playoffs or the whole regular season i'm not trying to get to a certain amount of games i'm trying to play the games i can play if i'm hurt i can't play basketball the last two years unfortunately i got hurt for my acl then at the end of the End of the year, torn it's, it's basketball. Um, he, he also says he plays hard, so injuries are going to come. He's not there just walking around, and that he plays both ends of the floor. And and he and he was like, if an injury comes,
0: that's what happens. So I think it's
2: it's a little. It's a little bit odd, kind Kawhi, the poster boy of loan management, when he's already de- when he's actually dealt with this many injuries. Um, it's just kind of unfortunate.
1: Well, another thing we'll get into now is Jimmy Butler moving on from Kawhi complaining about the 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 player participation participation rule, which he is in fairness Kawhi Leonard is one of the few guys who. Should kind of get exempt for his serious and I'll say unusual because it's either serious or unusual injury history. And he has a rather serious history with injuries ever since and, and the Pachulia. whole Julia th-
2: and the whole th- the
1: quad that ultimately led to his exit from the Spurs. He's dealt with this for a while, he has. But now it is time for Jimmy Butler, who last year came to media day with those dreadlocks that. You and I were forced to see the entire year with every single graphic everybody basically used the entire year. Excuse me, regardless of who they were. Because he only had the dreads for media day. I this but everybody had it as their picture for him for basically the whole season. This year he decided to go for a little bit of a different location. He went with the emo look. He went for the old punk, the punk star kind of flat over one eye look and you got some piercings done what did you did you like butler's look at media day cajun were you a fan or the emo look
2: if it means trolling the nba then i yeah i'm a fan um uh, man man's probably in his emo mode after what happened with damian lillard um we kind of mentioned how like he he wanted the league to like investigate the bucks for tampering um yeah, he's in his emo phase, and and there's like a there's like a video in which like Bam was just laughing that he couldn't believe what he was seeing, um, and um, there's this one song, there's this one, there's this one song, um, uh, the, the there's this like uh how many words is
0: it? Two, three, four, five, six.
2: Fourteen. 14 words that kind of like ingrained in my mind, and it kind of ha- I kind of saw this on like overtime's IG reel. It's like it's a, it's 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 fall for you by second hand serenade, and and that just came off, and I just died, and I just died laughing. Um, ah, Jimmy Butler is a character. He is a character, and he does not care about what other people think of him. And I like it. And I like it. He, he has, like, the <laughs> the entire, like, NBA fraternity, the the entire league, just confused over what he's, what he's doing and, um, what, um, or literally, like, what they have to deal with in the aftermath. But, boy, if I ever see that picture of emo butler in those nba graphics i don't know how i'm gonna react
1: with lots and lots of laughter cage i think it's the answer lots and lots of laughter but before we get to the WNBA finals preview and we get to meme cajun for the first time on the show i want to mention the litany of oh, american boy. players going to the u.s olympic team allegedly guys who have said they are interested in playing in paris next summer the 2024 summer games Now, I'm going to take you through all these names. So, Kevin Durant has said he'd like to go. Steph Curry has said he'd like to go. Other players who have expressed expressed interest. Bam Adebayo, DeMar DeRozan, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Jalen Brown, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Middleton, Julius Randle, Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon, Fred Van Vliet, Brooke Lopez, Kyrie Irving, Draymond Green, Joel Embiid, who has not committed to any country he can play for his home nation of Cameroon who have not qualified for the world cup just or for the Olympics, pardon me, just yet. He can play for France. He can play for the United States. So, Oh, and here's some more names. Cajun Zion Williamson, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Kuzma, Jimmy Butler, Anthony Davis are all players that have expressed interest and, or could possibly play for the United States team, and for most likely head coach Steve Kerr in Paris.
2: Man, the all-time great Noah Laz is really gotten getting this in these Americans peeved, aren't they? Like, man's got the entire Avengers, uh, Avengers out in full force. Like, the NBA Avengers out in full force. Um, now, see, like, if you're a USA, this is a great thing to hear. Um, but... The bigger question is, it's not a matter of how much talent you have, because let's be real, the USA does have the most talent basketball-wise, skill-wise. But it's like, how, can you guys put your, can they put their egos aside and play in their roles? Can they do what the what the Dream Team did? Can they do what the 2008 Redeem Team did when they played different roles? Because um, they're not going to be playing the same roles that they did Um.
1: With when their respective putting, teams, when you're putting twelve alphas on a team, nor at least usually twelve alphas on a team, it's rather hard to make them all not be the alpha on the floor.
2: And that's the issue. I think that's the bigger issue. Can you handle your eagles together and play football? Because a lot of these European teams, Canada, um, Canada's European lot,
1: Cajun.
2: No, no. A lot of these European teams. And then on the North American side, Canada, I should have worded that better. I was
1: going to I was going to make sure I questioned you there. I was like, I, I might not be great at geography, which is half a lie. I do really enjoy geography, I, at least world geography. I, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure Canada's not a part of Europe. I wish we were, but I mean, we're not a part of Europe.
2: I mean, they did come from the British Commonwealth, but I digress.
1: England's not even a part of, the common, or part of the EU anymore. They've left. That was no, a rather publicized split.
2: From the they EU. were. A key word, they were.
1: Yeah, they were a part of the EU. You were right there. They were a part of the EU. But go ahead with your point.
2: Um, but... um.
1: Sorry, Cage. I'm getting excited. It's... The memeing is coming, Cajun. I think you know.
2: Oh, boy. Oh,
0: boy. I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> but
1: um,
2: it's just... Um, all those other teams, like, play with feeble rules in mind and they put and they don't play with eagles and they, they don't have the same sort of eagle problem as the USA does. And I think the USA gotta figure that out first. But if they do figure it out, oh boy, it's trouble for the rest of the world.
1: Trouble for the reigning World Cup champion, Germany, it's trouble for Spain, it's trouble for um slova uh is it slow Slovenia who's got Doncic it's Serbia who's got Nikola Jokic most likely, and then obviously Canada who's going to have hopefully Jamal Murray and SGA Sheikh Gilgis Alexander and some really uh, and Andrew Wiggins and a litany of other talented NBAers that should hopefully be on the team next summer. Mm-hmm. But now we're on to the last story cage, and we're almost there.
0: Boy, there will, there will oh, be boy.
1: no scowl board today. There hasn't been a whole lot of news. We went through a whole lot of litany of stories, but it's all guys. we talked about all guys. We've done in the Scrabble Bowl before. I want some fresh names. I want to stump Cajun. So we're going to skip it this week. It'll be back next week when we start doing two episodes a week. I'll probably do it once a week. I'll decide between Monday and Thursday, whatever I feel like has better names. But regardless, final story, WNBA Finals is set. Sunday, October 8th, the beginning of what seems to be one of the most hyped finals we've ever seen in the WNBA. It is the New York Liberty versus Las Vegas Aces, the number one team versus the number two team. They total have, like, do the quick math, KJ, and that is 12 losses between them in 80 games. Which is amazing. So these two teams have seemingly been on a collision course. And now they're here. And where the meaning meaning comes in of Cajun theory to Andy is he predicted that the New York Liberty would lose game one to the Connecticut Sun. He got that right. From that moment, Cajun didn't get a thing right the rest of the WNBA playoffs. While I, who got that wrong, got the Las Vegas Aces series right. I said the Aces would sweep. They did. I said Liberty would win in five. Which Cajun agreed with me. Cajun said the New York Liberty are going to win in five. They're going to lose game one, but they're going to win it in five. After the first two games, Cajun comes on this show on polar opposites. Brings out his knowledge, his experiences, and says, Spencer, I've watched these two games, and I think I'm going to go out on a limb and change my prediction. I think the Connecticut Sun are going to upset the New York Liberty in five games. I said, Cajun, are you sure you want to switch up your flip-flop right now? Are you sure? On this show, on this day, you want to flip-flop your prediction? And he said, yes, I'm sure. From that moment forward, the Connecticut Sun ended up with another playoff game. They lost 3-1 to the New York Liberty. Liberty are now in the WNBA Finals. Didn't even go to five, but only went to four. So Cajun just jinxed on a Connecticut Sun. You heard it here first. So Cajun jinxing hey, his first team here on the show. And yes, those were close games between New York and Connecticut, but the reality is they weren't able it's... to get their win.
2: Hey, man, I pulled Drake. What can I say?
1: Cajun I jumped off the boat. Ju- or Cajun jumped off the uh, Liberty vote a little too early. But now, Cajun... Uh... Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well... With the series beginning on Sunday, we're going to do our predictions now, Cajun. Who do you think will be WNBA champions in a few weeks' time? Depending on how many games it goes, because it it will be a five-game series, so best of three. Who do you think will be WNBA champions by the end of the series?
2: Man, this is going to be tough. Um there's they're going to feature three players who have won a total of five mb mvp awards combined a lot of five draft picks that have gone number one overall with brianna stewart asia wilson kelsey plum jackie young and sabrina Unescu. um and then there's chelsea gray and courtney vandersloot um the Aces are trying to go back to back for the first time since the Sparks, since L. A. Sparks did it in o one o two. They still got the same core. Um, they got one of the better coaches in the league, and um, Becky Hammond. Um,
0: and then. Um,
2: and then on the Liberty, and then on the Liberty side, well, obviously like Asia Wilson was trying to go back to back in terms of MVPs, um, fell a little bit short. Um,
0: and then there's this, and then there's the Liberty,
2: Rihanna Stewart, the current MVP. Um, she didn't really miss a beat when she left the Seattle Storm to join the Liberty, and then. And I thought the Liberty were going to have some growing pains in the playoffs. And boy, was I wrong. Um, Now,
0: with that being said, I got aces.
2: And I think it goes to five games. And I think home court advantage really matters in this. Plus, plus. Las Vegas has not lost a game in this playoffs, and Asia Wilson has pretty much dominated this entire postseason. Um,
0: um, the only she she had um
2: she had three straight thirty-plus games during this postseason before ultimately struggling in game three but even then she had a double double i think the aces repeat and i think this is where like having like a core, having the same core together that have that won a title last season is going to help the aces out more than the liberty i do think the liberty with this core are going to win a title i don't think it's going to be
0: this season
1: i agree with you and i want to mention something else cajun I you said 5 MVPs combined if you include Candace Parker who's right now on the Vegas roster but she's hurt it'd be 7.
2: Mhm. I was just I was like I it, that's that's just the healthy players that are healthy. E-
1: exactly. So there's 5 MVPs that are going to be playing in this series. If Candace Parker finds way on the floor which I don't think she's going to be able to, it'll be 7 MVPs total between these two teams and he has obviously different points of their career, but regardless, there are still a lot of talent in this series. They have the last four MVPs in this series, or five of the last six years. Breonna Stewart, Aja Wilson, and John Jonquil Jones. Mm-hmm. So, this will be a star-studded series. I'm going to say five games because I hope this series goes five games. I don't want it to be quick. I don't want it to be a blowout for either side. I want it to be a fought, hard series that goes the full five games that shows off exactly why you and I have been hyping up this series since we started this podcast. Everyone else is hyping up this series. I want it to live up to expectation, which I know is going to be hard, but I want it to live up to what everyone hopes it's going to be and what it could be. So I also say five games. I also will say the Las Vegas Aces. And the reason why I say Las Vegas is because both starting fives, I think, are rather close. I think the Liberty have shown throughout these playoffs that their bench is not as strong as the the Las Vegas' bench. And I think that will play a factor, and I think that will be the deciding factor, as well as home court advantage for Las Vegas in the Aces lifting their second straight championship. So I, I concur with you, Cajun. I agree with Las Vegas Aces. But you're known to flip flop, so we'll see if you change your opinion. We'll see if you change your mind by we're next sti-
2: episode. We're sticking by it. I'm sticking by it.
1: No we're no movement this time, no after game one shakes, no no if, No, if game no one one way.
2: But in fairness, to the, in fairness to that one, that was after game two in which Connecticut did make it close and almost made it 2-0. That's what I was kind of rolling with. But I digress. I'm not changing this. Aces in five.
1: He's not changing this. Aces in five. I agree. Aces in five. And Cajun, I think this is a fun question to ask, but I, I think I know the answer. So excluding Aja Wilson and Brianna Stewart, the two-star power forwards. What matchup do you think will be the most interesting, and which matchup do you think will be the most pivotal to the series? Which matchup do you think if it goes the way of the other team will dictate the series, and then which matchup do you think is just going to be the most fun to watch?
2: Which well, obviously the most. Teams? Well, obviously the most fun to watch is going to be Breonna Stewart versus Asia Wilson, a battle of like MVP, uh, a battle of.
1: The first Great and second MVP. place MVP votes by, what, seven votes? 446 yep. four, to four, three, nine. Four, four, six, to be Stuart. Or, pardon me, four, three, three for AJ Wilson. So, I forgot you got third, not second.
2: Alyssa Thomas was first. was second.
1: Was second, you're right.
2: Um, the most fun
0: one? <sighs> I'm going to say the point guard play.
2: Courtney Vandersloot, who came who came from the Chicago Sky, and then Chelsea Gray. I think, how are they going to lead their teams? How are they going to lead their teams? How are they going to set up their... How are they going to um, set up their offenses? Because both of them are great point guards. It just depends on which guard would put her team in the better position to win. And I think that'll be arguably like we've, we've seen the star power and we're seeing the star power in this um series. But I think it's poor guard play. Whoever, whoever gets the better guard player is going to win this series. And I think that's going to be a big key.
1: Well, I I agree with you. It's going to be guard play, but I think I want to shift the attention over to the shooting guard. I think Sabrina Inescu versus uh, Chelsea Plum or Kelsey Plum? Before I mess all that up. Before I,
2: I was gonna I, say that too.
1: Yeah, before I mess that up, Cajun. For you, me, me. Plum versus Inescu is going to be a absolute fantastic matchup because they're both great players. I think you mentioned Plum was a fir- former first overall pick. Obviously, Inescu, yep. for first overall pick. Like it's gonna be a firefight at shooting guard, and I honestly think, and I'll mark my words, this. The leader between those two of points. If Inescu outscores Plum, the Liberty are going to win that that game. If Plum outscores Inescu, the Vegas is going to win that game unless the supporting cast absolutely dominate the uh, their matchups. But I think that shooting guard matchup is really going to show which team is going to win that series early and often because, just because of how talented those two women are. And more mm-hmm. importantly, how f- – and I, I, I mean, we talked about it. Sabrina Inescu shot, what was it, 37 out of 40 points at the three-point contest? She missed three points out of a possible – however many she got. I think it was 37 out of 40. She had missed mm-hmm. three points, two balls, at the three-point contest to win it. Like, she can absolutely light it up from behind the arc. And, you know, Chelsea or Kelsey Plum again, pardon me, she can also – Light it up from three. She's a th- basically 39% three-point shooter, averaging almost 19 points a game in the regular season.
2: And she shot and she shot 40, and she's shooting even better from downtown in the postseason, too. Almost 39 in the regular season, now 42% in the postseason. And UNESCO, it's a little bit of a drop-up, but not by much. She almost shot 45% from downtown in the regular season. 43%, which is still really, really good.
1: So that, that'll that be my, my prediction, Cajun, is the, sh- the better shooting guard, the shooting guard with the most points, is the team that's going to win that game. So we'll see if my, my prediction ends up ringing true. I, I have a good feeling, though, about, about my, uh, my synopsis, Cajun.
2: See, the only reason why I said point guard play is because in a series that's got so much star power in a series that... That there's not going to be as much separation. there's going there's gonna be little things that are gonna separate them. That's why I said point guards and um
0: literally, like
2: there's going to be so much tactics, and I think the head coaching battle too, like Becky Hammond already wanted it all uh, already been there, done that, has won it all um. but Sandy Brondello has been there and done that
0: too um
2: she's been there she's she's literally been there and won that too being a WNBA champion in 2014 which and i believe that was with the Phoenix Mercury um so two coaches that have been to the WNBA finals and have won at the highest, at the highest stages, both of them becoming WNBA champions, which one will outcoach the other two? There's like, there is a ton of matchups that will really decide the series. It isn't just between Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson, between the point guards, between Sabrina Unescu and uh, Kelsey
0: Plum. I'll, I'll,
2: Whoever wins a majority of these like little little matchups is going to win the series.
1: And I'll make sure I say again, you and I are here for it. You and I will be watching Game One. I'm kind of in my head right now, but if we're going to watch it together or not, it's a three p.m. start, so I'm not sure if you're going to be available to watch it with me. And I also know you and I were doing lacrosse, so I also have to kind of think that think of that in my head if you and I will be working together this this weekend. But I, does. In my head, I'm trying to think of, you know, if we're if, you know, basically I'm just thinking of ideas in my head about about this series. Because, again, this series should be so much fun to watch. And we're going to try to watch every second of it. Yep. And I might try to try to do what we did with the Canada series with the Canada at the World Cup. Might. I might do a little little bit of, you know, live posting of of the series. We'll find out Uh if that works out.
0: Honestly, if time allows for, um, well, I don't know if time will allow for game one, depending on what's going on with, with us on Sunday. But after that, like for game two, like if we can't do it for game
2: one, game two, I don't see why not.
1: So we'll definitely keep you posted on Tuesday, the game at the day after game one, or I guess Monday, the day after game one, the ninth, when we start doing two episodes a week, I'll tell you on the ninth on our next episode of Polar Opposites, if we're going to be posting live after the game or 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 if we're just going to do post-games like we did. Like, if, if we do just do post-games like we're going to do for game one or if we're going to do live reactions like we did for the Canada at the World Cup. We'll figure that out for Monday. That will be on Monday's at show on the 9th of October when we start doing two times a week on Thursdays and Mondays. So keep that in mind if you are interested in the WNBA, which I think you should be. Even if you're not interested in some of the lower-ranked teams that aren't doing very well, these are easily the two best teams in the WNBA. These have been easily the two best teams this year throughout the season. No offense to Connecticut Sun, but this has been a collision course everyone's been wanting to see all season long. I think they split the season series. And I'm here for it, Cajun. I know you're here for it, and I can't wait for this series to finally kick off in four days time.
2: Oh man, October 8th can't come soon enough.
1: It, it can't, it can't come soon enough. But that'll be it here for us. For Cajun, Fearuth, Thanny I'm Spencer Byers. Thank you so much for taking us in here today on episode number 15 of Polar Opposites on the on the Outrage Inc.